You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Continuing our series on Wednesday nights, um, that I've been calling Why Baptist. I mean, my desire is, is not just a look at Baptist history. It's, it's to look at scriptural doctrines that define us as a Baptist church. And I want to make sure that we start on that side of it uh, because I'm, I'm thankful to be a Baptist. I think we're here because we're Baptists, but we're Baptists because we believe the Bible. And the very first one that we looked at, and actually I meant to do it for a couple of weeks, and it was, I think, seven weeks, we looked at the Word of God, biblical authority. And uh, don't worry, I don't anticipate any of the others taking that long. Um, But once you start looking at God's Word, it's hard to move on past that, because everything else that you believe, it, it starts with your belief in Scripture. And so we're moving, though, on from that tonight. Let me get my mic. Let me figure this out. I've been, I've been gone way too long. I missed Sunday. Um, we're moving on from that tonight, going straight to our next subject, which is a focus on the local church. And so let's read Matthew 16 and verse 13, and uh, where Jesus is talking about the church for, for about the first time in Scripture. It says in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? This is so significant. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I love his answer. He didn't always get it right, but when he did, he really got it right. Uh, verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, I, my, I personally believe that interpretation is that Jesus Christ was saying, Thou art Peter, but upon this rock meaning himself, Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter, his name means a small stone, but Jesus Christ is a rock you can build a church on, and that's what he's saying. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a lot of authority given to the local church and says in verse 20 then charged these disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ and obviously and and I'm not going to explain that much except that it just wasn't time for them to preach that message if they had gone preaching Jesus is the Messiah the people would have thought he's come to set up his kingdom and they would have focused on Jesus as the coming king and not as the savior they would have focused on a kingdom and not the repentance of their sins. And so that's he wasn't saying, don't tell people I'm Jesus ever. He was just saying, right now, it's not time. But my, the, the point of reading that passage, though, is just to look at, as we begin a, a couple of weeks on, I'm calling it the autonomy of the local church, 
but tonight focusing on the, the phrase local and church, because really that's the most important part of that Baptist distinctive. And let's pray and get into this. Father, I love you and I'm thankful for your love to us. I thank you, thank you for giving us your word and from which we can know these truths. And uh, biblical authority was so important as we establish what we believe. But also, Lord, your church, it is so important to you. I pray that it would be important to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I, uh, at the very beginning, or close to the beginning of the series, I showed you a slide. And I'm just going to show that again um, because somebody came up with this acronym for Baptist distinctives. It's got, if you notice, the first letter of each of these distinctives spells out Baptists, biblical authority, autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believer, two ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper, individual soul liberty, saved, baptized church membership, two offices, pastor and deacon, separation of church and state. And I don't know that we're going to go through every single one of these, but the one that I'm looking at tonight is the second one, uh, autonomy of the local church. And each of these, as you look at these, each of these, they are important doctrines. Uh, you know, they're not every fundamental of the faith. There, there are other fundamentals of the faith that, that we subscribe to or ascribe to. But these are those that traditionally have separated those that would call themselves Baptists from those that don't call themselves Baptists. And that's the reason that this list or this acronym has been come up with. The, first, the, the second, though, that we're looking at tonight is autonomy of the local church. And you can go ahead and turn that slide off. Um, autonomy of the local church. Autonomy, is, is, it means self-governing. And, and the reason that this would be a, a Baptist distinctive is because throughout history, um, there, has been, uh, there has not been a separation um, of the state and the church, meaning that, that in, in a, a lot of history, uh, the state has tried to run the church. And, and the church was never meant to be under uh, government rule. And, and that's one of the reasons this is the distinction that it is. But rather than focusing tonight on the autonomy part, which, which we'll look at that some as well, but I want to focus starting with the church part. Because I think it's important for us to understand. And as we go through this, this may be something everybody in here has already heard before. But I don't think it's bad for us to review what we believe about the church. Um, this is very important. I, was, uh, I saw a video even just today. Um, there was a video in January 2012 by a guy named Jefferson Bethke uh, from Seattle. He posted a video on YouTube. And it, it was titled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Why I hate religion but love Jesus. And it blew up. It, it, it went viral, as they say. It got attention from major news media outlets. And last I checked, it had, I think today I saw it had over 34 million views. And, and I mean, you, feel free to get on and watch it. I think you'll, you'll see maybe as he was making this video, uh, I think he had one thing in mind. He was trying to make a point, but it came across the wrong way. In that it seems like in the video, he is really, uh, he is really downgrading or denigrating um, any kind of organized religion. And he's saying none of that matters. It's all bad. Your relationship with Jesus is what matters the most. Now, I mean, a lot of those, I mean, there's a lot of that that I definitely actually agree with. 
Because I don't want uh, us to just be a church that's all about religion, outward religion, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think the reason that it took off the way it has is because there's such an air of individualism in our country and that it's my truth and I matter the most. No one can disagree with me. And it's no matter then that spirituality has become more popular than religion. Because no one wants to really submit to anything anymore. And so my religion, I don't have religion, I have spirituality. That's kind of what you hear these days. I don't believe in organized religion. You know, most, when most people think of religion, they think of rules and doctrines and institutions. And they think even in many people's minds, they, they might even think of things like abuse, you know, that's what they go to immediately when they think of organized religion. And, and I believe that people, there are people any that want Jesus, but they don't want the parameters that come with being a disciple. So they embrace Jesus, but they reject the institution through which religion was meant to come, the church. And they cast that aside and say, no, I'm all about Jesus. Now, for some, when the topic of church comes up, they immediately shut it down and they think maybe the church has become disconnected. It's not involved in community enough. Or maybe they think that the church is a place filled with hypocrites. Have you heard this one before? A place filled, filled with hypocrites and they're judgmental and they're critical and they're closed-minded. And I, I know that can be true, but, but that's, uh, that's something a lot of people use as an excuse. Or they might even view church as boring and people that are holding on to these traditions and they're, it's all nostalgia and very little relevance is kind of the way some would approach it. More and more people have that view and it's no wonder then that people watched the video and loved it. I hate religion, but I love Jesus. Now, Bethke went on to write a book that he called Jesus and it's the greater than sign, Jesus greater than Religion, which many more people bought and loved. So, and to some extent, again, I, I have to agree with the concept that religion without Jesus, it's empty. I've preached from this pulpit before um, that, that many people have religion and what they should be seeking is a relationship. But just because somebody has all religion and no relationship doesn't mean that the religion then can just be cast aside. You know, if that, listen, if that defines your spiritual life, that you have religion but no relationship, then that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's about a relationship. But it's also clear that Jesus' view of religion, for it to take place in our lives, if you want to call it religion, it's supposed to come through a local church. Um, Your local church is the context of how your religious life is lived out. If it wasn't important to Jesus, then he wouldn't have died for it. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So for us to dismiss the organism of the church just because there are imperfect elements to it would be like saying, well, marriage isn't important, so I dismiss it. And yet, it's an institution that God gave us. We don't get to simply dismiss it just because there are imperfect elements to it. And frankly, there are imperfect elements to every marriage. I mean, if it involves a man and a woman, 
They're both sinners. There are imperfect elements to it. But it doesn't mean that the institution itself can be completely discarded, although that's happening in our culture as well. It's, I mean, we wouldn't say, well, government isn't, um, isn't perfect, so I won't submit to it. Well, I mean, we have uh, plenty of commands in Scripture to submit to and pray for our government. Now, I know there are caveats. We ought to obey God rather than men. I mean, that's clear. But we ought to also, though, in ways that don't cause us to disobey our Lord, we ought to submit to and pray for our government leaders. Just because it's imperfect doesn't mean that God says, well, you no longer have to submit to it. As soon as something is influenced by the human element, it's, it's no longer perfect. And it, but that doesn't mean it's no longer valid. So Christ intends for every one of us, every one of his followers, to be part of a local church. I'm going to start with that tonight because I believe it wholeheartedly. He, he intends for every believer, every one of his children, to not just attend a local church, but to be a member and to be committed and to be involved and be serving in a local church. And that may not matter to our culture, but it matters to God. It mattered to Jesus Christ, again, enough that he died for it. So tonight I want to just take a look at what a church is and how it's supposed to work and something meant to matter so much to our spiritual and religious lives, I think it's good for us to understand. And, and again, I just have to say on Wednesday nights, I approach it a little bit differently. You know, we're teaching doctrine. Uh, it may feel a little bit less like a preaching service and it may feel a little bit more like teaching. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's a helpful thing. And so engage your minds and let's try to just maybe understand some of these elements as we go through this quickly here tonight. The nature of the church. The church, I'm just going to start with this. The church is an assembly. See, the Greek word for is ekklesia. That's the Greek word for church. And ekklesia is the Greek word that's translated church in English. It, it occurs over 100 um, times in, in the New Testament. I think 118 times, something around then. It was commonly used in the Bible times to mean an assembly. So when people would gather together, it's called an ekklesia. And it was derived from two Greek words. Uh, ek, E-K, means out of. And kaleo, which means to call. So the root, ecclesia, the root meaning of that word is called out. And I think that we understand that meaning. It becomes obvious when you think of the church, of a New Testament church, as made up of those who are called out through salvation. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. So the root means called out. The ancient Greek culture, they, they understood the word to refer to a town crier. You know, there was no Twitter or Facebook or no other way to send an announcement through the city in those days. So they had town criers and they had those with some, I would imagine, a big booming voice and somebody who could go through the town and make announcements that they would call then citizens to some kind of an assembly or some kind of a meeting where important matters would be discussed and where decisions would be made. That is the usage of the word. There are several uses then of the word in non-biblical Greek sources. So it, it, it's not like this is a word made up just for the New Testament. This was understood by those reading 
the scriptures in the New Testament in those days. How, so how is ecclesia used in the New Testament? Well, Jesus didn't invent a new word, as I mentioned. This is a word that people understood. So when he used this word to describe his church, it was a common word and it simply applied to his purpose. The first time ecclesia is used in the New Testament is here in Matthew 16, verse 18. Look at it. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There we see it for the first time. This is where Jesus announces the founding or the beginning of his church. Now, when ecclesia is used in the Bible, it nearly always explicitly refers to a single local body of believers. Now, I I don't, so Jesus didn't invent a new word, but what I do like about what he says here, he says he does signify a distinction when he says it's my church. So he says there are all kinds, basically, they knew of all kinds of assemblies out there. They understood that word to mean a gathering of people. But when Jesus said, uh, I will build my church, that separated it from all the rest. And by the way, and maybe you've noticed and maybe you haven't, but I, I do my very best to never say my church. You know, and when I say, well, I wouldn't not like, well, Eastside is my church. I mean, you could say that, but I never talking to other people. I, I, I try not to ever say, well, at my church, because folks, Eastside's not my church. Now, it is in the sense that I'm part of it, but I don't own it. And that's why I don't say things, you know, like I, I try not to be possessive about things related to the church. I don't say it's, you know, when we have choir, I don't say it's my choir. You know, I, don't, I, I try not to say things like that because this is Jesus' church. Uh, he says, uh, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, there are times in the New Testament where this word is used to refer to a non-church assembly in Acts 19. There's a, a town meeting in Ephesus. They assembled in, in Acts chapter 7. There was another exception. The word was used to refer to a, a group of Israelites in the, in the wilderness. But even in non-church references, it still refers to an assembly of people. I mean, that is across the board. So when Scripture speaks of the New Testament church that Jesus, um, I believe Jesus began... It almost always refers to a specific church. You'll see phrases like the church at Ephesus, the church in this place, the church of this place. And the vast majority of the references uh, to church or churches, I think all but 15, refer to a place, a geographical location. You'll say, well, what about the the passages that don't attach a geographical location to the church. Well, for instance, Colossians 1.18, it says he is the head of the body, uh, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's Colossians 1.18. Well, even when you, if you consider a verse like that in more depth, we have to remember that those to whom it was written, the only kind of Christian church those believers knew of was an assembly. I mean, so even when Paul used the word church generally, like in a general sense, when he just says the church and doesn't say the church at Galatia or Ephesus, the only Christian church they knew was a local church. They weren't thinking of anything bigger than that. And, And they were just thinking of it. Well, it's local. See, characteristics of a church or an assembly then 
I mean, think about it. An assembly is local. It has to be local. Obviously, an assembly is not an assembly unless it's assembled in a particular place. Uh, there are many references in Scripture that bear out the, the, the fact that churches are local. In Acts 8.1, it says that the church which was at Jerusalem. In Galatians 1.2, Paul speaks. He doesn't say the church in the region of Galatia. That doesn't make sense. He says the churches of Galatia. Because it always refers then to something local, specific. In Revelation, John addresses his writing to the seven churches which are in Asia. He doesn't say the church in Asia. That's a pretty broad region. He says the church is. And again, you see statements like the church at, the church in, the church of, because an assembly is local. And that's why I resist the concept of the universal church concept. Is because if you simply read the New Testament um, as it's written, uh, the definition of the word itself is assembly. An assembly must be local. And here's, I mean, honestly, here's one thing that I struggled with when we were, when we weren't having services. Because I know we're a local church, but to do it online means you're not assembled. So in the, if that's the case, you know, it, is it church? And, and now that's a question I battled with and I struggled with. Um, on the other hand, the balance was, I also, at that point, we didn't know what, what things were going to turn into or what it was going to be like. So, you know, to disregard some of that, you know, I didn't want to put the, the church at risk. You know, those are hard, those were hard times. Can I just say, those were hard times. And uh, there, was, there were people on very opposite extremes, um, you know, in my ear about it all. And I just want to say thank you to those that helped me uh, through prayer. Thank you to those that just trusted that leadership because it, they weren't easy decisions. And part of it was you can't be a church if you're not assembled. And that's why I want to say too, uh, and we, I know we've got plenty uh, even watch, watching online some tonight. Um, it's not church if it's not an assembly. You know, we keep the live stream going uh, for those that need it. But, uh, but I've can I be honest? I struggle with that too. Uh, because I don't want that to be a crutch for people to do something that causes us to not be what we're supposed to be, assembled. And, and I, it's, it's still a struggle, and I'm not ready to, to dismiss it all yet. But, I mean, these are the kinds of things. When I study the definition of the word ecclesia in the New Testament church... It's an assembly, and that, makes, that kind of makes some of these decisions a little bit more difficult than we think. You know, people can't come together or assemble and at the same time be all over the world. It's not possible, which is, again, why I personally uh, reject the concept of the universal church idea. So an assembly is local. An assembly is also visible. And this is, it's common sense. I mean, if it's, if, if they're assembled physically, they're going to be by nature visible. It goes without saying. People can't come together and not be seen. Churches are made up of visible, tangible individuals. A, a church isn't an abstract 
concept. It's a tangible entity. And that's why Paul could persecute the church before he was converted. Luke writes in Acts 8, again, at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. That's why it's, it's possible, it's visible, that's why it's possible to tell the church something. Turn over a couple chapters to Matthew 18 here. If you're still in Matthew 16, Matthew 18 says in verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him that his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he'll not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So a church is a visible entity. It's a visible body. You have to be able to take this information. If someone's not hearing it, you have to be able to take it somewhere. By the way, that passage in Matthew 18, because there are some, and, and, and there are different, uh, different ideas about this. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't have, uh, you know, I have what I believe about this. But there are people that believe that the church started after Jesus Christ or that the day of Pentecost and, and I happen to believe that there's enough evidence to say that Jesus Christ started the, earthly, the church during his earthly ministry. Uh, he's already referring to the church here in Matthew 18. I mean, he's, he's, he's giving functional ideas about the church. He's saying, hey, if your brother doesn't hear you, uh, you know, take it to the church. And, and the disciples weren't like, what do you, what, tell us what you mean by that. No, they knew what he was talking about. This is functional already. The assembly at Jerusalem. He's telling them, if somebody doesn't hear, take it to the church. Uh, let's just look at a couple of verses. Look at um, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and in verse 7. This is toward the beginning of, of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And he's organizing things. Look at Mark, Mark chapter 6 verse 7. It says, and he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And then he gives them instructions and look over in Luke chapter six now, Luke chapter six. So he calls the disciples, then he sends them out. Look at Luke chapter six, verse 13. And it says, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples and of them he chose 12, whom, he, whom also he named apostles. And then he gives them, he gives their names of those apostles. Now, I just want to say, remember, over in Mark and in Luke, it talks about calls them. He calls them. Do you remember what the meaning of the root of ecclesia was? It's called out. So I, I believe that Jesus is establishing then, in these passages right here, it shows that Jesus Christ was establishing the New Testament, local New Testament church there at Jerusalem while he was during his earthly ministry. We see these things happening in assembly. It was happening in Jerusalem already. It's, they already have, they've been called out. There's an assembly. It's logically visible. Its members aren't invisible. It can't meet in an invisible location. It can't function with invisible officers. It certainly cannot operate on invisible offerings, by the way. I'll just throw that one in there. You know, an, an assembly is local, an assembly is visible, an assembly is also organized. I mean, Jesus Christ was giving very clear instructions 
to his apostles here about what they should be doing. In other Greek usage, assembly always meant a group of people called together to one place for a specific purpose. They weren't coming together. Just It wasn't like a flash mob kind of a thing where it just breaks out, you know, just happens to break out at the mall. Or No, they were coming together for a specific person. Uh, this was an organized group of people coming together. They had a specific agenda to be carried out. The New Testament it is full of letters or epistles written by, uh, written by Paul, usually, but two churches that are, it deal with proper organization. And this is so because, by definition, a church is an organized assembly. And that's why when a church begins, maybe a church plant... Like Brother Ruckman, I was thinking about that today, that when they started their church, they organized. And it's not because it's a business endeavor, but the, the local New Testament church is to be organized. It's to have order, and we are given instructions about the order that it's supposed to have from God's word. Um, Colossians, and, and Paul, Paul wrote this in Colossians 2, 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order. And that literally means your, I mean, your arrangement, the, the, how you're coming together and you're doing things the right way. The local New Testament, New Testament church um, has a purpose. They were coming together for a reason. And they were, their primary reason was to re- represent Jesus Christ. They're coming together, they were meeting, they were teaching and, and praying. And then they were going out to the world to represent Jesus to the world. There is organization required. In a local church. And I know not everyone likes it to be that way necessarily. But there needs to be organization. There, let everything be done decently and in order. I mean it's, it's, new, it's a New Testament principle. To have organization in order. And there are some things we need to get more organized on. And we need more order in. And, and yet um, you know, I think that we're, when we do those things. You know, thank you for understanding that. It's, it's a biblical thing. We don't just come together and everyone just does what they want. As I preached a few weeks ago out of 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about you know, the, the, the two church services. You've got one where everyone comes and they have their, they have their own, uh, in their own tongue, they have their own thing going. And everyone all across the room has their own thing going. Or you have somebody come in and they prophesy in a way that everyone can understand. And, and that is a convincing way to have a New, a, a New Testament church service. When everyone comes and does their own thing, then it's, it's not convincing. It causes confusion. And that very passage, actually at the end of that chapter, is when Paul said, let things be done decently and in order. And that's why we try to arrange it to where there's some order even right here in this room. It's not about control. It's because it's a New Testament principle. You know, one, I mean, if one person is speaking, then, you know, then we try to keep movement down. We try to keep other sound and noise down, not because of control, but because of order. And we're trying to do things as the Bible tells us to. An assembly is organized. Can you imagine if everybody got to do whatever they wanted during the hour we meet together? It'd be chaos. You know, I just think about order. Many times a church is compared to a body. And think about the importance of the organization in a body. I mean, yeah, there are elements in a body. You've got, you know, flesh. And I know it's maybe gross to some, but flesh. And you've got bones and cartilage and blood and all these things, if they're just kind of sitting on a table, it's not a body. 
You know, I mean, it, it, it has to be ordered. Some of you are getting, you know, a little bit woozy here. I'll, I'll stop talking about that. But, you know, there needs to be organization. And it's not, again, a matter of control. It's a, it's a Bible principle. So uh, an assembly is local, visible, it's organized, and it's constituted. And this is similar to organized. Here's where we get back to those who specifically were called out. An assembly is an exclusive entity. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we check people's IDs at the door and only certain people get in. That's not what I mean. But in order to be a member of Eastside Baptist Church, there are certain qualifications. And I know, again, that's not popular in our day and age, but the word of God gives us some guidelines. And look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This is the, uh, at, right after the day of Pentecost. This is right after uh, thousands of people getting saved and baptized. I mean, all these incredible things happening. But they didn't just say anybody that wants to um, can just be a member. No, there were qualifications. Look at the qualifications. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized... And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that defines the qualifications for membership or belonging to a church. Three key phrases. It says, number one, they, they, that received his word. So if you were to, uh, to uh, define that in one word, what would you say received his word? What's the word you would say? They were what? They were saved. You receive, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. So that's the receiving. It's salvation. So the first qualification to be a part of a local New Testament church is salvation. It says, then they gladly received his word, were baptized. Okay, and that doesn't work very well. If I was to say, give me one word, that means that you would say baptized. Same word, okay? Maybe you say dunked. Maybe you say immersed. Maybe you say nearly drowned. Whatever you want to say baptized okay they, they they gladly received his word saved they were baptized they followed in believers baptism and it says they were added well if i was to say so then they were added that unto them about three thousand souls uh, what would you say what one word they they became what members right now and i don't know how exactly it's supposed to work but, but I do think that there, is, there are qualifications very clear, clearly listed here. And for some people, and it's, it's, it's actually becoming a trend in many churches now where there's, a, there's not an expectation for membership. And there's no commitment uh, required. And I want to preach uh, about this a little bit at some point. Um, you know, to that, I go back to the, to the marriage uh, example in that, you know, if, if there are all kinds of people now, they say, well, it's just a piece of paper. You know, we don't need a piece of paper to commit. No, what I believe is that you're not, you're not willing to commit enough to sign a piece of paper. And I do believe there are parallels to church membership. And that if you're not a member, um, then there's a, there, it, there's a certain lack of commitment they, and I don't know if they had membership roles. I, I doubt it was, I don't know that it was that organized. But for them to know how many were added, there had to be something to be added to. And there had to be somebody counting an approximate number of people that were, that were added. There was some organization involved here. And I, we just need to understand, to be a member, you've got to receive his word and be saved. You've got to be baptized. 
biblically, scripturally baptized, and then become officially a member. Membership in a scriptural New Testament church, it's exclusive. It's not just open to anyone. And I, it feels strange to say that because we want arms open. We say everyone's welcome to come, but not everyone fits the qualification to be a member of a New Testament church. We want them to be. And once they are, they can start fulfilling their role as a member and serving and contributing, but they, they must feel, fit the qualifications. They must be baptized believers. So, you know, you go back to the point in Christ that Christ was making in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 about church discipline, and you see the fact churches were instructed to keep themselves pure even by at times excluding members that were involved in certain sins uh, that, demonst- that demonstrated maybe specific specific spirits, you know, and that really does show that there's a somewhat limited, um, a limited constituency, if you want to say it that way. It's not just open to anybody to come in and live, living how they want to live with no thought of God's word and without the right qualifications. It's, we're not trying to be an exclusive club, um, but we are trying to be scriptural. And that's where we have to land. So, Let's just back out then. How, how would we define or summarize a New Testament church? Well, my definition would be, and I know this isn't original, just with me, it's just what I've always heard, and I think it really describes it. The New Testament church is a local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. The New Testament church is a local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. So obviously, I think it's a good Bible definition of a New Testament church. And that definition has historically been a Baptist distinction. While, while many others um, have kind of tried to redefine the church or go whatever direction they want to go in countless ways, we try to stick to the Bible definition. But listen, and here's where I'm going to turn it a little bit. It does us no good to believe in a certain doctrine regarding a local New Testament church if we're not willing to operate as if it means something. So by that, I mean, I'm going to make, and you're like, this is supposed to just be teaching. What are we doing here? No, well, how, do you per, how much do you personally embrace or embody the definition of the local church? It's, an, again, a local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. So it's local. Listen, and you may have other spiritual influences and investments in your life, but none deserve more involvement than the church at the place God has you living. And it, it's pretty, I think it's pretty apparent and amazing in the digital age that people are losing connection with their local New Testament church and really gravitating to what they're finding in other digital media formats, online or even on the radio. Well, listen, there's nothing wrong with moderate usage of like social media and in Facebook and listening to messages, but you should have more interaction with the people in this local church that God has placed you in than what you experience online with somebody else that may not even live in your own city. See, watching internet preachers or giving to ministries in other places, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's wrong. I listen to messages. I, I, I don't give to a lot of online ministries, I'll admit, because I give to my local church. But, 
but, I, but you can find encouragement in those places. But God has placed me in this body. And he's placed you in this body. This is where the majority of our heart and time and love and investment should be going. And I can say, I can say it's local. But if I operate as if it's not, then what is that definition doing to, to make a difference in my life? Um, it's local. It's visible. See, if that's a distinction of a local church, that it's visible, then make sure you're visible in your local church. See, we can state our position with pride all day. Local church, Baptist, New Testament, visible. But if your attendance habits are unpredictable, in other words, someone, maybe someone else, they, won't, they don't know if you'll be visible or not. You know, then we're exercising a certain amount of lip service. You know, sis, we're independent Baptists. We believe this definition. Then let's be visible. Don't be an invisible church member when one of our distinctions is a visible church. Okay, moving on. I don't want to get in too much trouble tonight. It's organized. It's constituted. That's another distinction. That implies it's full of people that are submitted to a greater cause than themselves. Meaning that there's not a bunch of people building their own little kingdoms and nobody can... Oh, kind of step over the boundaries of, no, we're all in this for a greater cause. Not about ourselves, not above everybody else. And we're certainly not with a spirit of criticism if there's something we agree with, disagree with. Listen, if it's organized and constituted, meaning that it's organized, there's order, it's constituted, we all are, are, we, we're serving a greater purpose, we meet the right qualifications, then sometimes that means we simply just be part of the team. Eastside Baptist Church is making attempts. I believe we're making attempts to move forward in the work of the Lord. And we may not have as much going as some other places. But when we do have something, how on board are you? See, if our purpose is to do the work of Christ, how involved are you on a weekly basis? If the church's function was dependent on the kind of church involvement you practice, would we be moving forward? I mean, there's an old song, it goes like this. What kind of church would my church be? If every member was just like me, how many souls would be saved today if it all depended on what I say? How many prayers would God have to answer if all that he heard came from me? I wonder what kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me? See, I'm, I'm thankful, friend. I'm thankful to be a Baptist. And I don't just say that to get amens. There weren't any way, but I'm thankful to be a Baptist. I am. But I believe that name, and I believe it still means something. It does. It indicates that we operate biblically. But I have to say this. Do we claim distinctions that we're not living by? See, be careful of having the right positions, but not letting it affect your operations. See, there was a group that did, did that in the New Testament. And guess what Jesus called them? Or guess what they were? They were the Pharisees. They had the right positions, but their spirit and operation didn't match what they claimed. And I'd almost rather have looser positions and live by them than have really tight positions in name only. Now, the best way is to have the right positions and let those positions dictate your operations. So for tonight, we have a pretty tight a pretty tight and elevated view of God's design for the local New Testament church. Let that dictate how faithful you are to every service. Okay? If you believe 
what the New Testament says about the local New Testament church, then the next time you're wondering whether or not to attend, don't let how you feel that night determine whether or not you attend. Let the fact that you have a high view of what a local New Testament church is and should operate by, let that determine whether or not you come. Let that view dictate how much you anticipate meeting with God's people. Let that dictate how involved you get in serving here. Let your position on the New Testament church dictate how passionate you are about spreading its message. Let's not be word-only kind of doers. Let's be doers of the word. And that our positions should affect our operations. So how well are you operating as a member of this local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the work of the Lord? I'm just going to say tonight, jump in. Like, this is a pretty high calling here. That we get to be a part of something that makes, I mean, when Jesus said, he says that things that you'll bind in heaven uh, will, or you, will be bound and things that are loose will be loosed. Um, he was basically giving authority to the church to do some things that had eternal impact. This is a big deal. So don't just sit as a spectator and let everyone else kind of carry it forward. No, if, you, if it's a big deal to you, then get involved. Attend every service. Jump in and serve. Let your high position affect your daily operation. See, the Lord knows in a day that a video called Why I Hate Religion but Love Jesus, in a day like that, that it can gain such traction, that means there needs to be groups of dedicated believers, assemblies, ecclesias, of, of, of dedicated believers in our culture countering that mindset. And, and I pray it happens right here at Eastside. As people's view of, of the church diminishes it, let our operation, in our view of the church, raise it. And maybe someday they're, they're making videos like called I Love Jesus and Religion because I've seen it done right over at Eastside. I mean, it's not nearly as catchy, but you know what I'm saying. You know, instead of our religion turning people away from Jesus, let's do it in such a way that they can't help but come to him. But it all depends on how high our view of this church is and how high that view affects our daily operation. Let the position affect our operation. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We will have a a verse of invitation tonight. And your dedication, your commitment, your view of the church... Does it need to change on any level? Is there anything in your life in regards to your local church that God has placed you in? Is there anything about this church that you need to view differently? I know I went a little bit longer tonight, but this is important stuff. This is God's design for your spiritual life. Primarily takes place in the context of East Side Baptist Church. And so how does your position, first, how's your position on the importance of the church? How does, it, how does that look? But second, how does your operation look? Those two things, both of them could be elevated, I think, in many of our lives. Let's take some time to let the Lord work on us about this. If God spoke to your heart, why don't you take a moment to respond. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth and its clarity. I pray tonight. You'd help us to be willing to submit any part of our lives that doesn't hold either hold the view of the local church where it needs to be or doesn't operate as if that position really is all that high in our minds. Lord, help us uh, to view the church as you viewed it and that it was something you loved enough that you were willing to give yourself for it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. As the instrument plays, I want to encourage you to take a moment tonight to respond. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.